0: Our first reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Only in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your nets on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did they were unable to haul the net in because of the great number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his eye to garment to around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred metres. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, and even with so many the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Our second reading is from Isaiah 65, which is page 753. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant Who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them. Or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will the days of my people be. My chosen people will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour in vain, nor will their children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like an ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord.
1: In our first reading, we joined the disciples going fishing. What are they doing back there? There's a a sense of them getting on with life, going back to what they knew. But it wasn't proving to be very successful. They knew the sea and they knew how to fish, but they weren't catching anything. Nighttime was the time to do it, and it was now daybreak. Time was running out. Then Jesus came. Like the other resurrection encounters, so Mary at the tomb and the men on the Emmaus Road, the disciples didn't recognise Jesus at first. But after his greeting and his command, they knew. You see, this had happened to them before, recorded in Luke 5, when Jesus first called them. It's a familiar story. They worked all night and had caught nothing. Back then, Jesus had got into the boat and told them to let down their nets And they did, and their nets were full to bursting. He told them then that they would become fishers of people. So on this day, when he called from the shore to throw their net on the right side of the boat and that they will find some fish, and they did, and they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish, they knew it was him. Peter, still the impulsive one, longing to see Jesus, grabbed his cloak, which was the decent way to greet people, being properly clothed, it usually is, isn't it? Um, And he jumped into the sea. Jesus had already said to them when he appeared to them after he was raised in John 20, that as the Father had sent him, he was sending them into the world, being filled with his breath. But they were still learning what this meant. Perhaps that if they do this in their own way, they'll fail. They had toiled all night and caught nothing. So the only way for them was to admit defeat, listen afresh to Jesus' voice, and do what he said. Then their net was full. So we've seen that this encounter was reminiscent of their first calling. Next, we see in the story that there was a fire of burning coals on the beach. And this would have been particularly pointing for Peter. It would remind him of that fire over which Peter had denied Jesus, saying in the courtyard three times that he didn't know him, and then the rooster had crowed. The scene is set here for Peter's restoration by Jesus, which comes next after the passage we read, Jesus reinstating him. So Jesus came to the disciples at their workplace, revealing himself to them and transformed the situation for them. Imagine him showing up at your desk or your classroom or your building site or by your breakfast table or in your workshop, wherever it is that you work. Do we expect to see him there? Or do we only expect to see him in the spiritual places? Hopefully, we expect to meet him here, where we gather to worship. But what about when we're out there doing what we do for the rest of the week? In this story, Jesus literally turns up at Peter's workplace. And he turns up on a day when Peter is feeling a failure. The very thing Peter thought he could do be a fisherman, is the thing he's drawing a blank on. No fish, not even a nibble. But notice, Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter and the disciples for returning to fishing. In fact, he encourages and helps them. Work, it turns out, is good. Work is part of the resurrection life Jesus has risen again to bring us. He doesn't call us (laughs) to stop work and just be spiritual for the rest of our lives and on into eternity. He comes alongside us in our work and breathes his life into it. Back in Isaiah 65, our second reading today, the prophet painted a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. God was going to recreate at the end of time. And the picture is not of clouds and angels playing harps, It's not the endless church services that some of us have in our heads. I always joke that I'll be spending the first million years of heaven sleeping in the room that's been prepared for me, because I'm tired. (laughs) But here, in this picture, the Lord says, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat, my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour in vain. So it seems here that God will not do away with work, but He will banish futile work, unjust work, vain work. The promise of eternity is a heavenly city on earth where we all enjoy God's good gifts, including food houses, and satisfying, enjoyable work. I wonder if that vision changes how we view our work now. Work is a part of God's ideal. Jesus wants to come alongside us, even when things are frustrating or difficult, and breathe life into our work, breathe resurrection life into what we're doing right now. Are we welcoming Jesus into our workplaces rather than keeping him out? Jesus isn't just interested in churchy things. Church ministry has somehow been seen as more sacred and more honoured, and we seem to divide secular and spiritual, with spiritual being seen as a more worthy calling. It's not. Clearly, some are called into Christian work, which is fantastic. But it's not better or more godly than working in secular jobs. It's different. We touched on this a little bit, but when we talk about work, it'll mean different things to different people, even just those of us in this room. For some of us, our work is very much a vocation and a sense of calling. For some of us, it's tent-making. So Paul was a tent-maker by trade, but also a missionary. Um, An example, if you want to check that I'm not making it up, would be Acts 18, verse 3. So what I mean here is that some may view their jobs as a way to earn enough money to pay the bills and to fund other important parts of their lives, maybe family life or social life or church life or voluntary work, that that work that they do is still important, but it's maybe not the be-all and end-all, the main focus of what they do with their week. For some, work can be a drudge and just a necessary means of getting by. For some, work would be a dream. They'd love to be in work. For some, work is a distant memory. You may have retired some time ago. Our work might be the paid employment, the job that we go to. It might be running a business. It might be a voluntary role. It might be completing studies. Or a role in which we find ourselves maybe unplanned, like becoming a carer. We're not necessarily only talking here about work as a traditional nine-to-five job. But for you, it might be that. And we're all in different seasons in our work life. Some are learning a trade. Some are established in work. Some considering what work to go into. Some have retired or are retiring. There seem to be quite a few at the moment at Christchurch. And by the way, I know you know this, but there's no retiring in God's kingdom, just a change of role or setting. Whatever work is for you, work is important. And valuable. You are important and valuable to God and so are the people that you work with and he wants to be involved in all of it. Work is not just about filling our time or marking time until the next holiday or weekend or retirement. We can each blossom where we're planted. God can use that work time to minister through us to the people around us and use our skills, abilities, and gifts to contribute to society and to help others. Work can give us a sense of purpose and usefulness. Not that our identity is defined by work, because that's in Christ, but it gives a healthy sense of well-being when we give of ourselves. And when God is invited into that place of work, he will breathe life into it, So that it becomes something that brings him glory. Did you notice in the story that Jesus already had fish cooking on the fire? He didn't need the disciples' fish, but he asked them to bring it to add to what he already had. We bring what we have, and Jesus uses it. He doesn't have to use us, he is sovereign but he chooses to use ordinary people like us to build his kingdom wherever we are. Work is part of our worship. It's the living out of our faith, giving honour to God in whatever we're doing. There's no need to separate our lives out into the spiritual bits and the not-so-spiritual bits. But we can bring it all together in living lives that worship and honour God. In Colossians 3, Paul tells us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. In Nehemiah and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, different trades were used in getting the job done. Tasks were appointed according to skill in rebuilding the wall. It was a team effort. We see their goldsmiths and perfume makers being put to work. The dung gate was repaired by the rulers. And yes, it was as bad as it sounds. The dung gate was where all of Jerusalem's unclean waste and rubbish was put before being taken away and burned. It was the exit for dead animals, rotting food and toilet waste. So not all work is glamorous. (laughs) Maybe some of the work you did yesterday in maintaining the buildings, maybe not all glamorous. It's a lot of cleaning and menial tasks. But God can equip us and use us in it all. When invited to, God will be with us and sustain us in the challenges that we face at work and the spirit empowers us with the strength, wisdom and grace that we need. I remember at 16 years old walking to school to sit one of my O-levels and saying to God, if everything I have is yours, this is actually your exam so I need you to help me do it. And I even laid hands on each paper before I started it and prayed over it. it Help me to do my best. Do I continue to trust him in that childlike way with the challenges that I face in my work today? Because I need to. Note to self and maybe some of others of you as well. Jesus met with Peter and the other disciples in their workplace. 153 fish is a huge catch far more than they needed or expected. Submitting the work of our hands to God can lead to him doing immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. There's not a lot that I can share with you about my current work because it's covered so much by confidentiality. So I can't really give you examples of when I've seen God at work in people's lives. That's not my place to be sharing that with you. You'll just have to trust me that there are some, and there are many. But it is fair to say that I work within a broken system, which is underfunded and overwhelmed. And within that system, staff are battle-weary and overstretched, many of whom came in to make a difference Two people, but quickly became disillusioned and exhausted. I work alongside and support people who handle very tricky situations the best that they can, but trauma affects all of us living with it. And the endless reports to be written and presented, well, it can do your head in. And yet, I see God at work. To get alongside other professionals and to show understanding and care for them in their struggles makes a difference to them. And to be in the business of restoring lives is very much God's agenda. I know that God sustains me and what I've been called into, and I know that shining a bit of light into dark situations is a privilege. Just as the first disciples were sent into the world, so are we. Followers of Jesus are called to engage with the culture around us, and in doing so, to point to another way. Kingdom ways. We regularly pray, and we have this morning, your kingdom come. And if we mean that, and if we're working with him to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, it means asking the Heavenly Father to help us to be faithful, obedient, authentic, and effective Christians, including or even especially during our time at work. We can demonstrate God's kingdom to those around us with words and through our actions and our character. We do that by showing God's nature, things like kindness, grace, generosity, and by demonstrating his values, things like justice, fairness, truth, integrity, service to others. What might that look like in the ordinary day-to-day? Well, it might be managers who respect and value staff. I remember one of the staff team who I managed was utterly taken aback by me saying thank you to her at the end of each day. Such a simple thing. She said previously no one had ever thanked her for doing her work. It was just expected to be done. It could be teachers who inspire and build confidence in their students. We probably all remember a special teacher who made a difference to us. It's a checkout assistant who talks to and listens to their customers, valuing them. It's an office worker changing the culture of their workplace for the better when the place was known for cutting corners. It's a colleague being a messenger of peace to other team members when there's been a fallout. It's someone speaking up to the procurement department to adopt a more ethical buying policy. It's a hospital porter transporting a patient with dignity at a crucial moment in their lives. There are endless possibilities. I'm sure you can think of things for your own setting. And of course, it's being willing to also use words to take up opportunities to share our faith with gentleness and respect. The um, Talking Jesus survey results published recently found that 6% of adults in the UK would say that they were practicing Christians. That's pretty low, isn't it? 6%. And only half of the respondents said that they know a Christian. But one in three said that they wanted to find out more about Jesus after having a conversation with a Christian. The survey, which covered a lot more questions than that, reaffirms that post-pandemic, there's never been a better time or more need for us as Christians to invest in making Jesus known. It reaffirms that our non-Christian friends think well of us and like us, and that there is an ever greater openness to hearing stories of faith. Let's be encouraged to live out our faith and talk about Jesus, albeit sensitively, in our workplaces. And let's continue to pray for one another in that. That's really important to be a praying body for each other. The London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, the LICC, has lots of helpful information about being a Christian in the workplace. And I'd highly recommend visiting their website if it's something you'd like to explore more. There's recently been a song written, commissioned by the LICC and part of Thy Kingdom Come movement, which is very much along the lines of what we're thinking about this morning. When Andy Flanagan, Noel Robinson and Graham Hunter came to write this song, they described their aims in this way. We hoped that the words we wrote would articulate something of the scope and reach of the Kingdom of Heaven an expression of our desire for God to be present and active 24-7 in every moment of every day, week, and year. They invited God to be acknowledged on our front lines, wherever we find ourselves occupied in our everyday lives. They say from Monday to Saturday, the people of God, that's you and me, aren't hemmed into a corner separated from the rest of society. We're out in the world, touching scores of lives in a whole variety of ways, praying that God's kingdom would come where we are, praying that he would transform, revive and heal society, and that he would use us to help achieve that transformation, revival and healing. God bless you in your work.